Hello and welcome to another edition of Two Guys Discussing Software. Two Irish guys, Tomás. Yes, two Irish guys. Thank you, Brendan. As you can hear, I'm joined by Brendan Walsh, my good friend and colleague, the other Irish guy in the team. And my name again is Tomás O'Leary. I'm the founder and CEO of Origina, and this is our 12th attempt at doing these podcasts. It's been just over a year. And we're going to revisit some topics that we were uh, kind of reasonably well known talking about from time to time, even though we're not experts in it. But we've invited a excellent expert to join us shortly, Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. He is one of the leading industry analysts in the IT asset management and software asset management space. He's an author, he's a blogger, he's a trainer, he's an advocate, and he's a good friend of mine as well. So I'm looking forward to have a chat with Martin later. We wrote a piece, actually, Brendan, do you remember this last year in, in, in April around the kind of understanding the changing role of SAM? And that's, that's the yeah. topic we're going to have a chat about later with Martin. And I think it's a pretty relevant topic given what's happening in the world today with COVID-19. I reread it uh, only the other day, actually, in the lead up to the podcast. And yeah, it's pretty insightful. It's on our website, but uh, yeah, very relevant. Still, a lot of the, what was written still holds true today, no doubt about it. So we're going to have a chat about that. But I think that, isn't it, it is really a bizarre scenario we're finding ourselves in, this whole lockdown in almost the entire world, really. Uh, I mean, some places are, are much more impacted than others, but here in Europe, it has been pretty devastating. We're obviously in Ireland, it's been, it's bad, but as, as places like the United Kingdom seems a little bit worse, Belgium, France, the Netherlands, obviously Italy and Spain is really awful. And it's now seems to be impacting, obviously, the eastern seaboard the United States and New York. Uh, whether it's going to really go across the United States, we don't know yet. It may not with a bit of luck. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty bad. But bring it back to to the industries that are going to work. We had a chat at the, the last podcast about what was, which ones are going to be affected, which ones are not. I guess our own industry, and we're going to be talking to Martin shortly about the software industry, it seems to be better positioned than most. I don't know whether you, you were watching the, I mean, our favorite topic, as you know, Bren, but mega vendors and looking at legacy guys are, are probably going to be in a worse place than newer software as a service mm -hmm. guys. I mean, I, I saw, and I know you probably have some numbers on this stuff, you, you cover you look at this quite a lot more than I do. I saw the, the CFO of IBM there when they announced their results talking about the fact that they had been impacted in the last couple of weeks of their results by the, the drop-off in transactions uh, from, their, from their clients, particularly last couple of weeks of the quarter in the March there. So that looks like those guys are probably going to be worse affected in our industry. I mean, it's all relative, but I think yeah, they're sure. going to have a trickier time. Yeah, it's kind of inevitable, really, as you come to the end of a quarter, the end of March, that decisions are going to be uh, are going to slow down or, or not be taken, be deferred. And so that, you know, that reflects in the results for sure. You know, their sales are down, but they're down to, you know, 17.5 billion. They're down from 2019 numbers, which were 18.2. But they're also down, you know, but 2019 numbers were also down 2018. So it's kind of a trend. They were at 19 billion for Q1, for Q1 2018. They were down in 19 and they're down again in 20. So it's really just a downward spiral. Like, you know, obviously some of it's related to, to the, the crisis that we're going through, but it is still a downward trend. So it, 
you know, some of it is to do with legacy problems within the company, and some of it is to do certainly with current, you know, the current challenges. And they're they're stopping their their share buyback. They've been doing this for nearly ten years now, buying back shares. And I've, I heard that's been pulled from the kit bag. Yeah, again, you know, not again, not surprisingly, they're going to have to make a number of kind of strategic uh, decisions over the next period of time to kind of try and survive the crisis. You know, net income is down 26% year on year. So, you know, that kind of says a lot. You know, their legacy businesses are struggling. You know, GTS is struggling. Um, at one point, it represented probably over a third of their revenue, you know. So back in yeah. 2018, it was 37%, I think, something like that. So it was the cash cow for, you know, Gin- Ginny to be able to support the, the transition into the cloud, you know, and supporting transactions like the 34 billion acquisition of Red Hat, et cetera. But if that business is struggling, like pretty much all other business lines are struggling, uh, cloud sales might be up slightly, but all the legacy businesses are down. So that causes Arvind a bit of a problem, I think. Yeah. And I saw last week, I was following some of the stuff that Gartner published. They published a vendor rating. They do this every couple of years yeah. on the big vendors. They publish a rating. I, I pulled a couple of points from I thought were really interesting. First of all, their their corporate viability has been noted as variable, which is kind of in the mid-range between right. successful and risky. They made some positive noises about some of the things that we see our clients having issues with, the, the sale of their software products to HCL and and some of the other products have sold off during last year. Uh, they also made a comment they felt that was going to continue, which would be interesting for IBM's clients. But I thought I thought some of the things that they said in the in the thing. I'll just pull a couple of these things, see what you think. That some of the some of the client comments were concerned about subscription costs creeping up. One of the pillars that Arvind Krishna is, is talking about being of IBM's going forward is AI, and they felt it was too fragmented. An issue we see in many of our clients, product bundling is an issue. They're not seen as a disruptor and actually an opportunity for many clients, according to Gartner, is this rationalization of what products are I being going to lead with, with the, after the Red Hat acquisition and mm. may present opportunities for clients to actually make, make some savings. So mm. ah, overall, not a great, not a great read yeah, for that's IBM. A, that's kind of a mixed bag of commentary there, all right. Yeah, not a lot of positivity. I mean, I yeah. guess they want to be considered a disruptor in their market because that's kind of pretty much what they have to be doing. But, you know, they're a follower, not a leader, really, is it when it comes to AI and cloud. Yeah. And so, you know, they're not really a disruptor. They're, they're, they're playing catch up with a lot of the new tech, you know. It's a real, it's a dead body, really, isn't it? It's just like, it's on the floor. It needs one of those, you know, emergency, get, get the heart going again. And they're treating the, they're treating the staff awfully as well. They've just been desperate, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's always kind of stories in the in the papers about, you know, IBM and the federal courts. Uh, there's a couple of interesting ones. Some of them are quite humorous, albeit not so humorous. But there's the age discrimination one. It's been going on for a while. I don't remember reading about this guy, Langley, back in 2017. He was let go by, by IBM in the apparent kind of age discrimination case. So he was six years of age at the time. He was 24 years with the business. And uh, he brought file a suit against IBM for age discrimination. And it appears that IBM had had named this particular project in the in the organization Operation Baccarat, which was what? basically yeah, they, they named it after a, a, a card game, which is essentially a game of chance. Yeah? yeah. There's two players in the game, the player and the banker. And basically it's a game of chance. The odds are you know slightly in favor of the banker. But anyway, it's a curious name. It, it appears anyway that they have settled 
out of court. So they're not going to go to court with this one. But there's, yeah, there looks like there's potentially ten, tens of thousands of other cases lined up in a class action for increased, uh, for age discrimination, which has been going on, I, I think, as you know, for, you know, at least a decade with up to about 50,000 people. Uh, but Langley is kind of a, a high profile case. Wow. Yeah. Obviously, they're back with Baccarat. They must have been watching a bit of a few James Bond movies. Was it the uh, Man with the Golden Gun? Jaman from the, was the actor, small little guy from uh, Fantasy Island. Oh, Nuf a la Bonk, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. They've also had some issues with their contracts, not being contracts as well. Is that right? Yeah, well, we know they're always tricky with their contracts, uh, as we know from how they, how they write them and the complexity of them. But they've definitely um, come up with a, a pretty cl- a classic one. I know you're going to love this. So another example dating back to about 2008. So this guy, Jerome Beard. And he had what they know, they call it an IPL, which is an incentive plan letter. And so the incentive plan letter is essentially your contract, and it determines how you get paid commissions. For any, any kind of sales professionals out there, you'll love this one. So he's basically claiming that IBM underpaid him commission he was due under the IPL. And IBM are saying, no, that's not the case. We gave you some money but we weren't contracted under the IPL to give you the money that the commission plan states. So they could basically come up with an amount of money they saw fit to, to, to pay Jerome. But unfortunately, it's against the California Labor Code where you have to have a contract with an employee. You're legally entitled to have a contract of employment uh, under Section 2751. But IBM are saying, well, it is a contract for the purposes of adhering to the to 2751, the, the California Labor Court, but it's not a contract when it comes to actually uh, paying commissions outlined in the contract. This is like the, <laughs> this is almost like Donald Rumsfeld, the, the known unknowns. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so, unbelievable. I wonder, yeah. does um, does Arvind Krishna have a similar contract? That's not a contract. I doubt it. I doubt he does. We might move off IBM because we could stay here yeah, all night. Uh, outstanding, yeah. No, I think we. I saw some other things in the press. Speaking of CEOs of organizations, SAP. They had the first female CEO of a DAX index, Jennifer Morgan, who's a big advocate of kind of gender pay, which is something obviously we have a big supporter of, but gender pay parity. But uh, she's been booted out after six months. Apparently, this idea of a co-CEO is not working. And this guy, Christian Klein, has got the got the sole role. I wonder what Bill McDermott, the ex-CEO, thinks of that, because I think he was a big fan of, of Jennifer's. Do we know why she was booted out? Not out yet. Not out yeah. yet, I think. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have people on the case uh, yeah. as, we, as we speak to try and find out what went on there. I'm sure we'll give you an update next, next, next month. But speaking of ex CEOs, did you see what? I mean, this is not entirely related to the industry, but did you see Bill Gates' uh, conspiracy theories going around? It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite remarkable. And like, he wasn't that popular as a CEO. I mean, he, Microsoft, when he was CEO, they were obviously a hugely influential company, but they weren't really that popular. They, their products were regularly criticized. I mean, you compare them to today to Satya Nadella and Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft today can really do no wrong. Yeah, uh, almost, we, we, <laughs> almost. We, we try and find stories, but there aren't that many. You know. Well, they had they had great feedback on their Teams platform. You know, sure. you know, they had they. I think they were number number one on customer SaaS. I think it was the report out for the software review did a data quadrant report and web conferencing. They got number one on that. Yeah. Number one for 
I think it was for use of a feature. I think it was kind of related to the instant messaging feature. But with Cisco, we're number one. I think Zoho, Zoom, we're kind of one and two, you know, on that, on that score. But, yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the all the press against Gates, I think it's a little bit unfair. It's a bit hysterical. Uh, you know, people, people are going after him. But some of the stuff that's been said is... Uh, <laughs> Pretty yeah. I mean, I, I know this is the time, of the time sort of thing in history where, where conspiracy theories are very fertile. So um, yeah, it's yeah. not a massive surprise, to be honest with you. I um, mean, Microsoft haven't always had good news, and, and, and Satya usually is pretty solid. But I think the issues, again, coming back to speaking from a client perspective, this, this issue we've spoken about last time and a couple of times previously, the Windows 7 withdrawing support they've started now flagging already that the last patch for window for office 2010 is now going to be this october again it's the same issue like there's no they're giving people no options and again i don't we're not picking on microsoft per se but they've got that this has got to be tackled by the regulators the -hmm. regulators need to look at this i mean there's lots of stuff happening in the courts on different topics you take the the Google v Oracle case where they're fighting over the usage of the open APIs in the Android operating systems. Yeah. Uh, did you know that's on hold? Yeah, I heard that, yeah. The Supreme Court is, is not sitting at the moment, yeah. But that's been going on for 10 years or something, right? Yeah, well, for as long as Android's around, yeah, probably up yeah, to 10 yeah. years. I mean, it, the, the industry thinking and legal thinking on it are that Oracle won't win. The arguments in favor of Google are too strong and the Supreme Court won't mm-hmm. side with Oracle in this instance. But they've looked with one of the lower courts, so you just don't know. And it's, it, it'll have a massive impact on hundreds of thousands of companies who, who develop around with the use of open APIs. So it's really going to be a challenge. I could see it even, even no matter what happens, it's going to be challenged. I don't know where, don't know where it can go next. And you could have a you could have a different regime in the US and Europe or elsewhere around the world. So it could really be a, a major issue. And looking at the guy who runs Oracle and his influence in yeah, the current Trump administration. Yeah. He's the CEO uh, keeps on giving good news stories, that's for sure. The uh, what was it, the hydroxychloroquine apparently. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I've been trying to practice that. <laughs> but he's yeah, apparently. This is true. This is true. Yeah. Did, I, did you hear? He is the guy that told Trump all about it. Yeah. 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 I didn't know he was a pandemic expert and a virologist, but yeah, there you go. Larry, he's uh, pulls it out of the bag every time. Good for him. And he's been talking about your, do we, do we talk a moment ago about teams and that um, survey by the software review. The, <laughs> he's been on video apparently claiming that Zoom yeah. is an essential service. Yeah, he has been on, I think it was on his YouTube update, but yeah, he said it was an essential service and the, yeah, he was um, waxing lyrical about it, and there was a bit of digging done, and it doesn't seem that there's any kind of relationship there. Zoom don't seem to be a client. Does he, he, he touted a long list of clients in one of his last briefings, and Zoom wasn't on the list. So, yeah, it just it's unusual for him to, uh, to pontificate so positively about another software company, but, uh, yeah, very surprising. We must we must watch this space. What has happened? Does he try and buy them? Because they don't have a solution in that space, I don't believe. Certainly not that I can see. Yeah, yeah. Mm. not that anybody's using. Yeah, but if he was trying to, if he was trying to buy them, why would he up up the up the share price by talking yeah, about them? They've been blowing it out of the water uh, over the last 
number of weeks, I mean, the, the numbers of users is climbing, climbing steadily. A bit like with Teams, you know, who users have gone to kind of 44 million. You know, Zooms are also, uh, you know, it's on exponential growth, obviously, because everybody's using it, right? Yeah. I mean, in the last number of weeks, you know, my mother is using Zoom. I still don't think she knows where the camera is, but she's still on Zoom. I've had uh, <laughs> Zoom 30 seconds. I've played an Irish card game called 25 over Zoom. But people are on Zoom, they're on Teams, they're on Hangouts, they're on Cisco, you know, they're on Zoho, like we're on ourselves today, actually. And, you know, we've got Martin coming in the minute, and it was actually one of his guys, you know, Rich was was writing about the fact that, you know, there's, there's suddenly millions and millions of additional users who've just gone home to work. They now have mm-hmm. to buy licenses. They're buying them potentially with their personal cards. They're probably going through, you know, are avoiding unnecessary right now procurement processes to get all of these licenses so teams are offering six months free trials it's also been extended on zoom beyond 30 seconds for free but what happens you know when we come to the end of the cycle and suddenly there are tens probably hundreds of millions of additional licenses out there for all of these kind of working from home tools Uh, has anybody been watching you know have the sam guys been watching it's complicated it's probably kind of avoid. It's probably going around them. They're not getting to do their due diligence and their homework. They're probably not working as collaboratively as it, as it would with procurement. So, I think it creates a big problem for, you know, asset management coming out of yeah. this. Yeah, it's a good time to maybe bring Martin in. I think he's with us now. Martin Thompson, ITAM Review. Are you with us? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. This has been a surreal experience trying to keep quiet while you two guys are talking. Oh, um, good. Well, good I, to I, have I, you. I'm biting my lip, trying to <laughs> refrain from adding comment in there. But yeah. Well, that's, that, now, now, is now is your opportunity. Well, I thought, just a couple of things that spring out. One is, did you mention Larry was, bash, was promoting Zoom? Yeah. I think so. That's trying to hurt Microsoft, who he doesn't like. I think that's the reason behind that one. Ah, and yeah. the and the and the SAP thing was I think was always a trial. Two CEOs and whoever does best after six months gets the job. I think that yeah. was an extended interview, not a change of strategy. Yeah, it does seem unusual though for it, that you don't see that very often though, do you? It's a kind of. A... I think Bill Bill McDermott was a co CEO and won the role. I yeah. think this is a repeat of that. Okay, so it was successful previously, yeah. Okay, so we'll watch that space. But how how are you, by the way? Which which part of the world are you in as we're talking to you now? Are you in, in Swindon? I'm dialing in from sunny Swindon in Wiltshire in the UK. Lovely. Excellent. Things are good. And your your conference business, your, the, the, the switching to go online, that's that's working quite successfully, is it? Yeah, so for those that are not familiar, we, we run a community for anyone that works in the ITAM space. And we want to be a destination for anyone that works in that space. And we do all sorts of news, reviews and events. And a big a big proportion of our business is in-person events. And mm-hmm. that's just disappeared overnight. So we've had to adjust very quickly because of that. Okay. So what will the world look like for, I mean, we're, you, you cover ITAM, which cover both the hardware asset management and software asset management. But if you look at the software asset management in specifically, I mentioned at the top of the podcast that we have we about a year ago we I wrote a piece on this about what is what will the Sam what is yeah you know, what's the changing role of Sam at that point in time look like and what are the skill sets that are needed 
Brenda just outlined some real challenges when some sort of normality returns, what that might look like. What's the what's the world going to look like post COVID nineteen for us for the software asset manager? So going back to your original article, I think you mentioned in there somewhere about that ITAM used to be basically about inventory. And if anyone's working in the ITAM space, one of the ways you describe it to your mother or whoever at the pub is you say, you know, we count computers or we count licenses. And that's what it used to be about. Over the last few years, ITAM's become very much a strategic role. And you're almost whispering in the ear of the CIO or the senior management about helping them with intelligence to make the right decision. That's the way the sort of industry is going. So, so how's that going to change in the COVID world? Well, speaking to asset managers right now, what they're currently doing is scrambling to help set up these re- remote working structures. So we're all dialed in from home today. For some people, that's business as usual. For some people, that's a radical change and they need the infrastructure to support them. Well, I think what we'll see over the next couple of months is that will settle down. And what we'll see is a radical change to cost reduction. There'll be a, a real mandate on asset managers to reduce costs. Hmm. Because you saw this before, didn't you? Back in a, back in 2009, which is like straight after the last financial crash, that was exactly what happened, wasn't it? Yes, exactly that. So we, we started in 2008, just after the, the uh, I think they call it the, the what was it, the Grand Recession or the, the Great Recession. And, um, yeah. and yeah, absolutely. I mean, not, not that we want to profiteer from this, but ITAM does well in bad economic times because it's a return to basics, which is cost-cutting. What have we got? Where's it located? Who's using it? So we can eliminate waste and eliminate cost. And ITAM does good as an industry in those times because it can really help. So there's mm. going to be lots of potentially lots of jobs lost, lots of costs cut out of businesses. And ITAM can facilitate that over the next, next uh, few months, few years. Is the first challenge, Martin, kind of coming out of this that actually costs will have increased? You know, there'll be lots of variable costs in relation to infrastructure as a service, all this remote working technology that will have been deployed. So the first thing will be trying to get a handle on where all that is. Is it still needed? Who's using it? And then back to basics, as you put it. So there's a job of work immediately or in the next three to six months first. Would you see that being the case? Well, to your to your point before, you said, uh, like Rich wrote this article about all these people jumping on new platforms and people are just getting enabled on those and there'll be a lighting impact later and what we're hearing from the item audience is the the item industry is that there's going to be an awful lot of cleaning up to do so people are going to go back to their software companies to say actually we use this much during this period and there's going to be a clear up and a negotiation to happen but to your to your original point which i've forgotten sorry (laughs) the getting back to basics piece which is what we see as a parallel to 2007, 2008, there's a cleaning up bit first, which is going to take a few months, I reckon, and then that will free up the time to say, right, let's look at the basics of, like when they look at the basic cost cutting, where do you think they're going to look first? Well, one of the differences between 2008 and now is we have radically more people using cloud and SaaS in particular. And one of the challenges with SaaS is in the old days, you used to buy a, a one-year or a three-year deal for software. So you And maybe you did a true-up somewhere along the way or renegotiated. But the SaaS bill drops in every single month. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's, it's a bad thing because there's no end to the spend. It just keeps on rocking. But you can make an immediate impact on that spend. 
on a monthly basis. You can take out users, you can reduce functionality if possible. So you can you can have an immediate impact. You're going to have a lot more vendors though, aren't you? There's a lot, or certainly guys, companies that may have been a small vendors for them before this crisis are now going to be like a big vendor for them potentially. And I would I would imagine this because of the speed at which this happened, the controls that typically a, a good quality software asset management function would want to have in place, like review of contracts, um, review of metrics, license terms, termination clauses, all the usual things, that due diligence couldn't have been done to the level of detail they would have wanted. So they're going to come out of this with more vendors, more contracts than they ever had going into it. Maybe not you know, double or triple, but certainly it could be 20, 30% more. And the pressure you outlined with the cost reduction requirements, how are they going to wind that? And what are I the think, skills that they'll need to do that? I think a mature ITAM practice, and this is obviously a minority of the industry, unfortunately, but a mature ITAM practice would typically have a good view of their top 10, 20, 30 vendors. And they'd have almost a risk assessment of those, regardless of what they are. That's going to be a moving target over time. And they'd have a good view on that. Do you see this as being a baby an impetus to the industry? For the, I'm talking specifically about the ITAM industry. Do you see this as because of the comple- increased complexity and the push for cost reduction? You see companies wanting to invest more in, in, in ITAM expertise, in ITAM tools, or do you see it business as usual post uh, COVID nineteen? I hope it's a wake up call. I hope, I mean, one of my personal ambitions is to grow this the size of this industry. If we look at the top hundred companies in Europe or top hundred companies in the US, how many of them actually got a solid, mature IT asset management function? Not all of them, and I'd love to change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope this this period is a wake up call for them to realise the benefit of doing it. This is an opportunity to really shine a light on it. But is there a way of presenting that that it doesn't come across as, oh my God, this this is such a big problem. Where do we start? Because it is, it's a it's a massively complex area. There's almost no end to the number of contracts that are in place and the different metrics and the permutations and combinations that exist. Is it possible that people probably just go, This is I can't deal with this? How do we simplify it? It's interesting because I in preparation for this call, I was thinking back to when all of this started, the cloud stuff started. And I remember being asked in 2010, and somebody said, will cloud mean the end of your role, the end of your community? Because cloud's going to do away with all this complexity. But unfortunately, it's, it's, the opposite is true. Cloud makes things even more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think we as an industry need to have the discipline of when we're buying stuff, when we're onboarding this stuff, to make sure we're tracking how we're going to measure this, how do things change, what happens if our business falls off a cliff, or what happens if we grow? Where are the levers for, for me to change this or to exit this when I'm actually signing the agreement in the first place? Are there, are there, are there ways to do that automatically? Or is it a lot of it is, is kind of manual monitoring and spreadsheets and logging users who want access to whatever the, the cloud platform is, whether it's Teams or Zoom or Zoho or whatever? How has that been done? Is there an automatic way of doing it? Yeah, it's like, is there automation to help the, the, the SAM function in that? Like if you've got a 20,000 you know, person organization all signing up for different apps and some of them using their own devices and some of them using corporate devices, like it sounds complicated. I'm just wondering, is there, is there, are there automated means out in the market today that can help with that or is it kind of still manual processes? 
I'd say it's manual. I mean, there, there are systems that will risk us, do a risk assessment on your contracts as you're onboarding them and stuff. But I would say it's more about being a bit more mature about taking stuff on in the first place. There is this perception that we should let our users do whatever they want and they could, you know, as long as they get the job done, they can use whatever they want, use whatever software they want, which is great from a flexibility point of view, but it's not a very grown up approach to risk. Uh, actually, the business should say, what do we need and how, what process can we have to onboard this software as quickly as possible while reducing risk? Mm. And that just not, that's not just contracts or licensing. That's where's my data going to go? How are we going to manage costs and so on? Do you think there's a role for then a more senior position for the ITAM, IT asset manager, a software asset manager in the business? Like, do you see a chief ITAM officer role? Because that's been one of the challenges is their access to the, to the senior level has been tricky. It's been, they're pulled in, I, my, in my experience, certainly, and uh, we've seen in, in, in lots of organizations we talk to, they're dragged in and a very important role when a software audit happens or there's some major transformational things happening. But then they may not always be sitting at the top table or close to it. I would, I would disagree. I would say the, the ITAM professional as a whole, they are increasing in maturity and they're becoming those senior positions. So we've mm -hmm. done some research and we asked the question, where does your IT asset management or SAM function report into? And in 2011, the number one response was the service desk or service management or service delivery. And in 2018, it's the, the number one response was, this, was the board. It's gone from 17% in 2011 up to 37% in 2018. So we've seen a real shift, okay. an increase in seniority. Um, yeah. And I think that's down to a number of things. One is we are growing in maturity as a discipline. So ITAM is growing up. Also, IT is becoming much more important than it ever used to be. So IT used to be the, the, the department in the corner that fixed the laptops. Now it's a thread that runs through your entire business. It's like the whole business is underpinned by that. And the third reason, I think the reason it's increased in seniority is because it's not just IT being buying software. Marketing, for example, is a huge consumer of software. So that means that ITAM is no longer just serving the IT department, it's serving the whole business. So we're seeing that increase in seniority. But we could certainly do with more. And I agree, it should be almost in the office of the CIO to say, um, just like, I mean, the analogy I like to use is when you build a house, you'd get a surveyor to build the plans, you then get a builder to build the house, and then you have a quantity surveyor to make sure that the house is built as per the plans and the costs. And we need a quantity surveyor in there within IT to say, did this project meet the spec? Did it meet the pricing? Did it meet the goals? Yeah. We probably need a lot more standards then as well to help with that journey, don't we? And you've, you've been doing quite a bit of work there, haven't you? Nice segue. Nice segue. <laughs> <laughs> so the, in, in light of that increased seniority, what we're seeing is IT asset managers are doing a great job. They might be running a team of five, eight, 10, 15 people for some companies, all doing IT asset management. But apart from beating their chest and bravado, there's no real way of demonstrating how good their ITAM function is. And I don't mean them as professionals, I mean them as a business. So how well are they doing their ITAM function? And they've got scrutiny from security, they've got, they've got service management, they've got finance, everyone breathing down their necks. And as, uh, putting a standard in there is a great way of demonstrating the quality. Excellent. Yeah, and I think, I, I think that's a critical next step, isn't it? Particularly as well to give it 
the authority, but the buy-in across the business. Once you invest in something like this, um, I think you'll see it more and more. One of the areas, as you probably know as well, Martin, that I've been helped out in the past in is this whole area of extending the life of products and, and corporate responsibility on, on, on environmental. We talked earlier in the podcast around some of the things that the only bad news we can find about Microsoft is that they're stopping support for products, um, which, of course, they're entitled to do. don't have a problem with that. I, I think it's the, the options that are provided to the users of the products is, that, is the challenge. And I think if, if something like this also included an element of asset lifespan modeling or responsibility for a corporation, to at least to consider it and have you looked at it across the business would be important as well. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's a, it's a fantastic thing you're doing. Listen, I I I think we've had a great chat. Was there anything you wanted to tell us about what's happened in your life before we wrap up, Martin? Uh, I'm getting married. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Oh, we're we talking That's about work. The... All right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Is it still happening in August? Yeah, it's going to be on Zoom. I'll send you the link. Ah, I love. <laughs> No, we're, we're busy. So we're busy with the ITAM review. We have we had a big schedule of events coming. I mean, there's there's an argument that says after the pandemic there won't be events. I, I disagree. I think the human condition is to meet and to connect with your fellow man, and and that's what we enjoy doing. And I think they might be radically different, but I think in the future people will still meet, and we look forward to delivering those when we can. Uh, we're radically changing our business to more digital, and that's working so far. And people people are connecting with it. And on a personal basis, I, I'm building this ITAM forum, which is a not-for-profit, and that has two objectives. One is to raise the profile of ITAM for all the reasons you mentioned. We need to be exposed higher up the food chain. And secondly, to bring the certification to the market so we can actually certify organizations that are doing really well, and they can say, look at the quality of the, the way we manage uh, our, our systems and our assets. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, that's a, a nice finish there and I wish you the best of luck with the up and coming and nuptials in um, uh, later in the summer Brendan I think we've had a great chat today yeah, uh, thank you to you too and thank you Martin great to have you we'll be thank back thank you very much having me you're more than welcome more than welcome we're going to be back in May we'll be back on the 14th of May we'll be we'll be talking to David Hool who is a well-known futurist and author the managing director of the Sarasota Institute in Florida very well-known guy and uh, we'll be talking to him about what the future might look like for the industry as a total, and particularly focus on our favorite friends, those mega vendors. So, yeah, we look forward to seeing you all then. And it's a goodbye from me and a goodbye from Brendan. Yeah. Or as they say, it's a goodbye from him. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you and take care. Keep safe.